0: Chapter 28 of Secretary Hawkins in Cuba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Secretary Hawkins in Cuba by Secretary Hawkins. The Lady in Black. That was the most exciting moment I ever knew. There, we were up to our knees in water, expecting to be drowned like rats in a trap. And all of a sudden, we realized that help was coming. Link and I yelled for joy, while the little girl in the cell next to ours screamed at the tap of her shrill voice, and the noise we made together almost drowned out the pounding of the sledgehammers in the hands of our rescuers. The pounding stopped, and we heard some commotion in the cell next to ours. I called to the little girl and asked who it was, but no reply came. I heard voices, but I could not make out what was said good lord i thought could it have been some of those ruffians who had come only to save the little girl and were going to let us drown my heart rose up in my throat and then i replied will standish will oh will coming hoggins he called and his voice sounded around on the outside of the passage Hold your horses, old boy! We'll get you out in a jiffy! As I turned to the side from which the sound of his voice came, I noticed that the water in the room was getting lower, and then I saw the reason. The heavy block of stone was moving up, opening the doorway, and the water was going out that way until, when the door was opened a foot, It rushed out in a torrent. Just a moment, old fellow, called Will Standish. There's no more danger now, and it's no use for us getting all soaked. We will be with you as soon as the flood goes out. The light in the chamber had now faded, and I knew it was night. But as the stone door moved upward, I became aware of a glow from a lantern. And presently Will Standish rushed in, followed by a well-dressed man, whom I recognized as his father, and after him came their negro servant, Abner Green, whom we had met one day on the Standish lawn. Thank God, said Mr. Standish, in a low voice. I was afraid we would not be in time to save you boys. Ah! They've bound this young fellow to the wall. That bunch of keys. Quick, Abner. The darky pulled out of his packet a heavy bunch of keys, which Will's father took and began to try them in the locks that fastened the iron calves around Link's wrists. Oh, this one fits, he said. And the next minute, the iron snapped open and Link's arms were free. I can't ever thank you, Mr. Standish, he said, but we must find my daddy. They've got him and Doc Waters and Uncle Lucio. Don't worry, replied Mr. Standish. Lucio and Valdez, by this time, are in Havana, telling the police what they know, while your father and Dr. Waters are safely resting in a room close by. They both received severe blows on the head, but I'm sure they are not seriously hurt. How we hugged Will Standish. He seemed to me then to be the greatest boy hero that ever lived, and we hurriedly told them what had happened. And now the water began to come in. Mr. Standish nodded his head. I had heard of these places, he said. But I never believed that they really existed. And I'm sure I would never have believed that a man, such as Rafael Peralta, would use them for such purposes. They had Uncle Lucio and the others in a larger room with more windows, said Will Standish. And the wire was up to their necks by the time we got to them. It was Will who saved them said Mr. Standish, and I am very proud of my boy for what he has done. You know, after I get separated from you, Hawkins, said Will, I happened to turn into a passage that led me right up to a hall near the seashore. I ran out and hurried to my motorboat and shot up home to tell my dad. That's what he did, said Mr. Standish. With a proud smile, and we wouldn't rest until I promised to come right back with him. So I told Abner to get some sledge hammers and picks and saws and things we might need to get you out. You see, at first, I only imagined that you had been cocked behind a cave-in. And then we came by the same way Lucio took us first, said Will. And I started yelling as we walked. We couldn't get an answer till we had gone through a dozen different passages, I guess. And then we heard Uncle Lucio. And saved them, just in the nick of time, said Mr. Standish. Come, we had better take Link back to the room where his father is. But I must see the little girl first, said Link. She did so much for me. "'Where is she?' exclaimed Mr. Standish. "'We broke through the partition of herself first "'and helped her out, for we thought you were all in there. "'Then she ran around and pressed the spring "'that opened the door. "'I thought she was standing here all the while.' "'But the girl was gone, so was Tell Me. "'The last look I gave to the place in which we had been imprisoned, showed that the water had all flowed out, but was still trickling through the windows. Abner, the darkest servant, had a lantern and so did Will, and they lighted up our way as we went back the sloping passage and turned off to the left until we came to a low room in which there were many cuts and some pallets on the floor dark waters lay on a cat near the door while over to one side link's father lay upon another i will not write about link's meeting with his father again the poor kid cried when he ran over and called pap talk to me and mr lambert could not answer what took up my thoughts just now was something else some other good deed that might yet be done. Listen, I said to Mr. Standish, there are two more prisoners we might free, and they might be drowned by this time. And I told him about Elam, the lame man, and his old sea captain. At once Mr. Standish told Abner to lead the way through again, and we called as we went. Elam! I called as loud as I could, and when we had gone another hundred feet, I called, Elam! Elam! Ahoy, mates, came the muffled answer. I could not have told from which direction the sound came, but Abner caught it. This way, Mr. Standish, he whispered, and from the looks of the negro's face, I knew that this exciting business in caverns was enough to scare the kinks out of his wall. But he hurried ahead of us, and when we cocked up with his light, he was hammering away with the sledge upon the wall of stones that was giving quickly to the hard blows. When we had broken through, the sight made me smile, even though I knew it was no time to laugh, for we were gazing through into a smaller cell full of water. It was lucky for Lamb, who was short on account of his lameness, that his old sea captain was a tall man, else Lamb would surely have been drowned, for the water in this cell was already up to the armpits of the sea captain who stood with his back against the wall, his arms raised to hold little old Elam, sitting like a monkey, on the sea captain's shoulders. By Jonah, exclaimed Elam from his perch on the captain's shoulders. By Jonah, captain, look yonder. It's the little fat scamp I met in the villa one midnight. Hello, youngster. Throw us a line, will you? Sit tight, Elam, I said. My friends are here with me, and we're going to get you out as soon as we can. But the old sea captain seemed to wake up suddenly, and seeing escape before his eyes so unexpectedly, took a firmer hold of the lame man and began to wade across to us as though the weight on his shoulders was only a feather. When he reached the hole we had made in the wall, Elam seemed to take a flying leap from the old man's shoulders and grasped at the edge of the opening. But the stone and mortar were loose from the pounding, and they came away in his grasp, and with a shriek he fell back into the water. The old captain tried to catch him, but missed. And the next moment, he was floundering around in the water, searching for the lame man. It seemed that Elam was searching for his captain too. By the way, he grabbed him around the neck when he came to the surface. And once more, he made for the opening, but this time he went carefully about it, and soon was standing beside us in the passage above. His companion had no trouble getting through. He was a strong man and needed no help, although I knew he must be suffering some from standing in that water so long with the lame man's weight on his shoulders. We took them down to the big room, and all of us took off our wet clothes and wrapped blankets around us. While Abner made a fire on one side and dried our clothes, while we sat there, Mr. Standish asked the two seamen questions, many of which Elam answered, but many of which I knew he was answering falsely. I thought to myself, Elam still has his mind on the treasure. He intends to sneak away and get it before any of us has a chance to find it. For I knew that Elam had come for one thing, and having suffered so much for the sake of it, he was not going away empty-handed. And so it was. When our clothes had been sufficiently dried, and we had all dressed again, Elam said, I got one score to pay before I get out of here, mates. That greasy Raphael treated me bad. You know he did. And, if you don't mind, me and my captain will go find him right away. Isn't it best that we all remain together, suggested Mr. Standish. We might have other trouble before we are able to get this injured man out. And in that case, it would be best that we have as many to defend us as possible. Listen, said Elam, tapping his finger on Mr. Standish's chest. There ain't going to be no more chance for trouble. I'm going to get Raphael right now. And when he's gone, them revolutioners won't have the courage to do anything more. Revolutioners, asked Mr. Standish. Did I understand you? Certain, answered Elam. The whole push. They're all bad eggs, trying to get enough men to start a revolution. Suddenly, Elam stepped and turned to me. Why, Sonny, didn't you all know that Raphael was hatching this revolution? No, I said. None of us ever dreamed he was doing such a thing. Elam whistled. Well, I'll be blowed. He said. He told me. That's why he wanted me to get rid of you. And that step brother of his, the old cuss, him to tell me that. Ain't I glad I didn't take you on board the Jonah and see you in the ocean? You bet, Sonny. lamb ain't no kind to do such a thing. I can always tell fine folks from bad ones. I know that Raphael ain't no fine one. You all sit here till we come back. Nothing would have stabbed lamb, and so Mr. Standish did not try to, and the old captain followed the lame man around like his shadow. That's how we saw them last, disappearing in the gloom of the passage that led back to the gallery where Raphael and his men had their council chamber. Lucio should soon be here, said Mr. Standish, glancing at his watch. I hope they do not stay away longer. These revolutionaries, as the lame man calls them, Gather in these places at night, I suppose, and it would not be well for us to be found in their sleeping quarters. But time wore on, and still they did not come. I sat gazing into the smoldering fire that Abner had made, and Link was sound asleep beside me. I couldn't sleep. I knew my skinny guy had a hard time and was tired. I sat dreaming about the past and seeing myself back in old Kentucky soon. I heard a snore, and glancing up, I saw Mr. Standish sitting with his back leaning against the wall and sound asleep. Will winked lazily at me, and soon he, too, was sleeping. I began to feel drowsy myself. Only the memories of that horror in the water cell kept my mind awake. However, the quasi-warmth of the fire made me feel as though I was safe. I felt my eyelids droop, and I felt myself dropping off to sleep. Here, a soft voice whispered. Here, calm. I imagined it was my mother telling me, as she used to do, to put my head on her arm and close my eyes and sleep. And I cuddled myself up on the blanket beside the fire and slept. And then I imagined I was dreaming. I seemed to see silent forms pass before my eyes. I seemed to hear whispering voices. One of them said, This is the one, for I know because I talked to him and gave him something to eat. Indeed, it is the one. Suddenly, I knew I was not dreaming. My mind was cleared, and I knew that there were strangers in that room with us. I lay with my eyes half shut until I grew accustomed to the dim light. Yes, now I saw them in the dim light, one I recognized, it was the little girl who had been in the cell next two hours, and the other was. Yes, Adelaide," whispered the other, leaning over Link. You were right. She was a tall, beautiful lady, dressed in black and wearing a Spanish veil. She was crying softly to herself. She stretched out her arms as if to touch Link's head. The girl held her arm back and shook her head and began to draw her toward the door. Just as they passed the cat upon which Link's father slept, the lady in black gave a start and held up her arms. Jefferson, she exclaimed under her breath, and with that they were gone, the girl drawing her out of the chamber and into the gloom of the passage. End of chapter 28